This talk is all about Andrew Tate and the how to talk to children about the problematic world of online hate. So thinking about how to identify which young people are particularly vulnerable to influencers who promote unrealistic lifestyles, misogyny, sexism, violence and self-harm. It looks at the conversations we as parents need to have with our children to help them to manage risk and avoid harm in the online world. I'm Alicia Drummond and this is a talk that I was asked to prepare for a festival, uh, summer of 2023, and it was very, very soon after the release of the Barbie movie, which hopefully most of you have seen, but if you haven't, you should, it's great. Um, but many of the themes that we're going to think about today are reflected in the film and it perhaps gives us a slightly lighter way to look at what is a really very dark topic. So you can expect a bit more Ken action as we go along. Um, also say that some of the topics might be triggering for some people, so please make sure that you look after yourselves. So let's get going. Um, and I'm kind of imagining that most of you will have heard of Andrew Tate. Um, and some of you might have heard your children talking about him. You might have had a discussion about him. I was quite nervous when I was asked to put this talk together, not least because I wasn't at all sure um, that it was appropriate for a music festival, but also because I didn't really want to give um, Andrew Tate yet more publicity. But then I also think that not talking about him isn't helpful either because young people are definitely going to know about him and silencing them is not helpful. So here goes and I hope that by the end of this talk you'll feel you've got the knowledge and language to talk to your children about influencers like Tate and about the wider issues that he raises. Now, you might have seen him being interviewed by Piers Morgan on his Piers Morgan Uncensored programme, which got so many views that, guess what, he got invited back for a second show. Or you might have seen him on an American chat show because he is, after all, the third most Googled man in the USA. Um, third only to Donald Trump and Johnny Depp. But just in case, he is an American-British professional kickboxer who at one point had over 450,000 Instagram followers and 600,000 subscribers to his YouTube channel. He's gained notoriety for his controversial views on everything from ISIS and the Taliban. So he thinks, says things like mental health makes people weak, depression isn't real. He talks about the role of women in the family and society. So he says things like rape victims must bear some responsibility for being raped. Men can cheat, but women can't. He talks about married women being the property of their husbands that women should stay at home and shouldn't be allowed out without a man and that it's okay for men to have lots of sexual partners but not okay for women. He is really deeply unpleasant. His views have got him banned by most social media platforms. I should say that's my opinion but there you go. His views have got him banned by most social media platforms, although Elon Musk has allowed him back onto X, aka Twitter, since buying it in 2022, and he now has over 6 million Twitter X followers. 
If you're looking for an online influencer who promotes fake beliefs, unrealistic lifestyles, misogyny, sexism, violence, you need look no further than Andrew Tate. And whilst he might be the best known, there are many others, both male and female out there, and your children might come across them and can definitely find them if they start scooting around on Google. Tate regularly references The Matrix. Now, personally, I'm not a massive fan of sci-fi and 1999 seems like forever ago. But if you haven't seen it, it was a film about a simulated reality called The Matrix, controlled by machines to trap humans. And it has become a cult hit with people jumping on the allegory to show how it's a critique of capitalism, our current systems and all manner of other manner of inequality. Now, when Tate cites The Matrix, he's suggesting it's the powers that be that target what he would call free thinkers and speakers like himself. So he refers to politicians, the media and large corporations as agents of The Matrix. And for many who follow him, the idea of escaping The Matrix is all about seeing the world as it really is, which I would put in inverted commas. In The Manosphere... And now, the Manosphere is a loose group of anti-feminist online subcultures, which we'll look at in a bit more detail in a minute. But meanwhile, seeing this kind of seeing the world as it really is, is known as being red-pilled in the Manosphere. So if we go back to Barbie, when Ken goes to the film version of the real world and discovers patriarchy, and it's not about horses, he has been red-pilled in other words, he is suddenly able to see Barbie land, where the Kens are largely decorative, interchangeable second class citizens who go unnoticed by the Barbies for what it is. In our real world, the problem with Tate referencing the Matrix is that if someone, and I include his young followers here, put forward a perspective that does not tally with his messaging, it will be dismissed as that's exactly what the Matrix would say. You've been blue-pilled, i.e. you are ignorant to the ways of the world. Now imagine as a parent trying to initiate a conversation with your Tate-loving child and make no mistake, there are an awful lot of young people, particularly boys and young men, who see him as a father figure, a guru, who can show them how to get money, status and power. Anyway, there you are, you're trying to initiate a conversation and every time you put forward a reason why your child needs to be careful of listening to people like Tate, you're told you've been blue-pilled. I mean, it's a great conversation stopper, but really, really unhelpful if we're trying to help our children see alternative perspectives, which, let's face it, they're unlikely to get from many of their peers. So I was talking to my godson recently, he's 17, I asked him about Andrew Tate. He said that he certainly doesn't subscribe to Tate's ideas, although recent research shows that a quarter of young boys and young men in the UK do uh, agree with his ideas around um, how to treat women. But um, anyway, my godson was saying he needs to follow him if he's going to be able to join in with conversations in schools, which, by the way, um, is, you know, it's just a very, very normal English school. And it really brought home to me how influential Tate is. And I think one of the reasons he is so influential is that alongside the conspiracy theories and the misogyny he has some good advice such as you know find someone you admire ask them how they did it do it and work hard 
I'm not sure he can really justify his self-proclaimed title of success coach, but he has a subscription-based online marketing program which teaches men how to make money and manage male-female interactions. And you might be tempted to think that teenagers, young people wouldn't be on it, but talking to schools, they are, and some of them are spending £40 a month for the privilege. So the platform was originally called Hustlers University. It's now called The Real World. And if Tate's claims are to be believed, it has over 200,000 subscribers, netting him a cool £96 million a year. Um, perhaps his opportunity to spend his considerable fortune is limited at the moment, Um as he's waiting on charges of rape, sexual assault, human trafficking. But, um, you know, who knows? The problem is that it doesn't really matter where Tate or any of the uh, many other toxic online influencers are in the world, their messages are out there. And whilst many of his misogynistic views are not new, his online reach both legitimises and keeps them alive. As I said, a recent it was a YouGov poll, actually. Results were released in May 23, found that a quarter of young men in the UK agree with his views on how women should be treated. And as parents, that should worry us because research by the Centre for Countering Digital Hate, the CCDH, um, they unearthed 47 videos of him pushing what they would describe as extreme misogyny. The report uncovered clips where he discusses fighting women, saying grip her by the neck in a video which has been viewed 1.6 million times, as well as referring to putting his imprint on 18 to 19 year old women in footage which has been viewed about 8.4 million times. His views are undoubtedly influencing the behaviour of some boys and young men. And whilst we certainly can't lay the blame entirely at his door, a 2021 Ofsted report concluded that sexual harassment and sexual abuse off and online have become normalised across all UK schools. Boys and young men are disrespecting female teachers by ignoring their instructions, putting Tate-inspired acronyms like MMAS at the bottom of an assignment. And for those of you who don't know what MMAS stands for, it's Make Me a Sandwich, which is a sexist meme Tate uses to belittle women. Some are using his power-up hand gesture, uh, you can Google it and you'll see Tate's power up hand gesture. And, and I failed to find a definitive explanation for what it symbolises, but it is widely recognised as being his. And for boys, you know, it's a symbol of belonging, of being in the know, of being disrespectful to adults in a secret way, which is unlikely to get them into trouble. And that's pretty heady stuff, particularly for teenagers who are trying to find their identity, who want to fit in and who are looking for a sense of belonging outside of the family, which, you know, all the stuff, his, all the stuff that they're supposed to be doing during adolescence. But enough for now about Andrew Tate, because as I say he is just one part of a much, much bigger picture of online hate, toxic influence. Before we explore how we as parents can address the problem, I think we need to understand how we've got to a place where boys and young men feel a need to seek out role models who support the idea that it's okay to objectify, dehumanise, control and violate women. 
There's a consensus amongst the experts in this field, people like Laura Bates, who runs the Everyday Sexism Project, Debbie Stevens, who've done a podcast with of Action Breaks Silence. Um, and the consensus is that it is partly attributable to the feminist movement. You know, women have come together, they've campaigned, they've challenged the patriarchy and they've had some limited success in levelling the playing field. But they perhaps haven't always done it in a way that's helpful because it has left some men feeling threatened, angry, shamed and that feminism has gone too far when they hear talk of toxic masculinity and typical male behaviour. Feminism is fundamentally about equality and levelling up. But the more radical feminists have talked about women being superior to men, which instead of opening the dialogue that would encourage understanding, empathy and change, has driven boys and young men to find the alternative messaging that makes it okay to be male. And of course, they're going to find what they're looking for if they head online. For our boys and young men to dive into the online manosphere, we'll expose them to a range of anti-feminist influences. And despite the name, not all of them are going to be male. So there's somebody called Hannah Pearl Davis, um, who some have described as the female counterpart to Andrew Tate. She doesn't believe that women should vote. She thinks it's a wife fault, wife's fault if her husband cheats. And her latest song, Why Can't We Talk About the Jews, is dedicated to her favourite white supremacist, Nick Fuentes. She's an, it's actually been blocked now, but that was what it was. She's an interesting character, particularly given that her mother was on the board of UN Women USA. But imagine how a disillusioned young man might feel coming across a woman who supports the patriarchy. They might come across and be potentially radicalised by other influences in the manosphere. So you've got MRAs, men's rights activists who campaign for reverse discrimination. I've already mentioned the red pillars. There are pickup artists who teach men how to manipulate the women they think they're entitled to have sex with. And then there are incels. Incels are involuntary celibates. They are men generally men, there are some females, but on the whole men, um, who consider themselves unable to attract women sexually. And it's really sad because they think they're genetically inferior to the men who are having sex. And they don't believe that they can do anything about it other than hate women, which has led to some such as Elliot Roger and Jake Davison inciting incel beliefs before committing acts of mass murder. So trust me, incel groups are not the place for our, anybody to go to for support because instead of reassuring young men and helping them build healthy relationships with women, incels will reaffirm their negative beliefs about themselves and if they express thoughts of violence or suicide, the group will openly encourage them to act on those thoughts. Of course, there are some good people in the manosphere. But if we want to keep young boys and men out of the clutches of the more toxic influences, then the very first thing we must do is change the language you use because the current rhetoric is driving division. So we desperately need to change this idea of toxic masculinity into positive masculinity. And remember that three quarters of men and boys do not agree with most of Tate's messaging, never mind a lot of the other stuff they will come across. 
That said, the Ofsted report shows that sexual harassment both on and offline is a serious problem in our schools and I think the social media and online influencers who seek to indoctrinate boys into supremacist and anti-feminist ideology along with the mass availability of online pornography lie at the root of the issue. So I don't know if you know what the average age for children to come across porn in the UK is but the Children's Commissioner who's Dame Rachel D'Souza, she conducted research involving a 1,000 teenagers January 2023 and it found that the average age is 13. But by nine, 10% have seen pornography and 27% of 11-year-olds have seen it. And she found that pornography is so widespread and normalised that children cannot opt out. The second major finding of the report was that 79% of young people had encountered violent pornography before the age of 18 and that young people are significantly more likely to see violence against a woman, 65%, compared to against a man, 29%. And that frequent users of porn are more likely to engage in physically aggressive sex acts. As parents, we need to be aware that all of our children are likely to come across pornography at some point and that many of them are going to find it upsetting, disturbing and frightening. So they need to be able to talk about it, but very, very few turn to parents for fear that we're going to judge, we're going to get cross, we're going to take their phones and tablets away, which for your average teenager is social uh, social disaster. I think there is an ever-growing disconnect but between what as parents we think our children know and what they actually know and between what we think they do and what they are actually doing and particularly in the online world. It's certainly not because we don't care but I do think everything is changing incredibly fast and perhaps we're not listening. But if we don't engage, we can't give children an alternative perspective or narrative. And without an alternative narrative, why wouldn't they believe that what they're watching on the likes of Pornhub is what they should be doing? 25% of all internet searches are porn related, according to a report which was published in the week in June 2023. We need to talk to children, both boys and girls, about pornography. And it isn't an easy conversation. You know, the idea of our children becoming sexually active is very uncomfortable for most parents, perhaps not quite as uncomfortable as the idea of us being sexually active might be for them. But in my experience, children, parents and teachers would much rather avoid talking about it. But we are failing our children if we don't have the open and honest conversations which help them understand that sex is about equality, intimacy, pleasure, fun, gentleness, connection, love. Those conversations which help them work out what they want, what they don't want, how to say yes and how to say no and all about consent. Because I think what a lot of young people don't appreciate is that there is a lot of non-conceptual sex on porn. So just getting them to think about porn from an ethical standpoint can be a really great way to open a conversation. You might say something like, you know what, if a woman can only earn the money she needs to support herself or her family by creating porn, do you think she's acting out of free will? 
Now, obviously, your chats need to be age appropriate. But as I've already said, I think many of us are naive about what children are doing and when they're doing it, which means that we end up having these conversations far too late. As soon as your child is using social media, you need to be talking to them about what they're doing, who they're talking to and who they're following and encouraging the critical thinking which helps them assess the information that they're viewing. So rather than criticising their choices and interests, be curious. So you can go back to my mantra of parenting, ask, don't tell. Who are you following? What ideas do they have? What do you think about those ideas? What would you do if you saw something that you found upsetting? If you discover that they're following people like Andrew Tate or Pearl, rather than criticising, try to get them thinking. So you might say something like, um, I don't know, do you think his views about women are okay? How do you think you'd feel if someone treated your sister, cousin, mother like that? How do you think his views might affect his relationships? If mental health, as he says, is a sign of weakness, do you think we should be offering people therapy or do you think we should be sending them off to a boot camp? We need to get them thinking. But I also think we need to think about how we socialise children. All kids should be allowed to grow up as their authentic selves, feeling and expressing a range of emotions. And whilst there's definitely been a shift, I think we still categorise behaviour along gender lines. I was in holiday in Spain recently and there was an English dad, a little one, he's only about three and he was crying and he said, come on, big boys, don't cry. Pull yourself together. Come on, man up. I want to see, don't want to see any more tears. And we do, don't we? We talk about, hopefully less, but that big boys don't cry. Girls shouldn't be angry. And, and yeah, that's very simplistic. But I think we do need to encourage all children that, you know, they need to be able to be brave, to be out there, to be independent. They need to be able to show empathy, whichever sex they are. They need to be nurturing. They need to be fierce, all of those things. We need to build their emotional intelligence so that they can express their feelings, identify their needs, set the healthy boundaries that are so essential for good relationships. Because if they have close relationships in the real world, they don't need to look to strangers online for validation and acceptance. Being a teenager is tough and we need to reassure them that it is normal to be anxious about relationships and particularly during adolescence. If we're looking for risk factors, having poor social skills and low self-esteem sit very high on the list because they're struggling with relationships. One way to avoid the associated shame is to blame or to avoid you know, if you think kind of typically, and again, I'm talking very typically, girls tend to talk to one another about how they feel, what they want, they share. And in doing so, they show their vulnerability. And that is the vulnerability that allows relationships and empathy to flourish. But if boys adopt the message of traditional patriarchy, which tells them that to be vulnerable is to be weak, they end up blocking their own route to healthy relationships. They become isolated and lonely, for which some will morph into feelings of anger and a need for power and dominance. And there are plenty of groups online that will fuel that anger and give permission for them to act on their needs. 
perhaps one of the very simplest things we can do as parents to help them from a really, really young age is to be friends with children of the opposite sex. If we can build those relationships early, it's really protective for all genders because it builds empathy and understanding. I don't know if you've heard of the Everyone's Invited campaign. Um, Soma Sara with June 2020 sharing experiences of rape culture. They had over 50,000 submissions. And uh, when Everyone's Invited first emerged, You know, I happened to have a therapy client who's a third year student at Durham University. And he told me that his close group of friends, male and female, have been talking about the experiences described in many of the testimonies. And one of the boys had said to the girls, ah, but none of you have ever had anything like that happen to you. To which one replied, oh, for goodness sake, don't be so naive. It happens all the time. And my client was genuinely shocked, as were his male friends. And he, he, they then asked the girls, well, why didn't any of you say anything? And they said, because you wouldn't believe us and you probably think it's okay anyway. And he told me that he had been really completely unaware what it really meant to be female. And I asked him whether he thought what he had heard would make a difference. And he said yes, and that he and his male friends had had some really open conversations about their hate behaviour as a result. Thinking about vulnerability, we need to be aware that anyone can be radicalised by online influences. But young people who are looking for a sense of identity and belonging are particularly vulnerable. Members of the LGBTQ plus community are vulnerable. Children who've been bullied are vulnerable. Neurodiverse children are more vulnerable. Children without positive role models in the world in the real world, sorry, are more vulnerable. And these are all things which we parents can be sensitive to. If your child has been bullied, work with them to solve the issue rather than jumping in to sort it, which just takes their power away a second time. If you are a single parent to a child of the opposite sex, try to ensure they've got a positive role model of their own sex in their lives. If they're questioning their sexuality or gender, be accepting but hold it lightly because adolescence is a time for experimenting with identity and we don't want them to make decisions which they then feel they can't change. And of course, we must be alert to the red flags which might suggest the young person is being negatively influenced by someone online. So those red flags would be attempting to justify harmful behaviour, referring to the matrix, Has their behaviour changed negatively at home or school? Are they using harmful or derogatory phrases in conversation? Are they being physically violent towards females or disrespecting female authority figures or classmates? If so, then a conversation, not a lecture, is in order. We need to remind them that they really don't need to follow the crowd. We need to help them to find their core values, what's important to them. We need to help them to see that not everything they see online is correct or helpful because with AI, the information might be factually correct, but it might have been pulled from information that is inherently sexist. We need to reassure them that it's okay to have different opinions. We need to encourage them to disrupt their social media feed by finding positive role models online because not only will that give them an alternative viewpoint, but it also starts to change the algorithms. So if that's something you're interested in, there was a really brilliant campaign called Disrupt Your Feed 
um, which you can Google. So congratulate them for being open to ideas, discussion, debate, because, you know, particularly boys and men are grappling with some of the messages they're hearing from people like Tate. But because they don't discuss it with their friends, they can end up just accepting the messaging. And perhaps most importantly, always focus on the behaviour of the influencer rather than the influencer themselves. You know, slating Andrew Tate or Pearl will shut down conversation, whereas using his views to initiate wider conversation is likely to be met with less defensiveness. And I think we also need to think really carefully about language. The American psychologist Brenny Brown has done extensive work on the subject of dehumanisation and she's concluded that it always starts with language. And if you look back through history, you know, the Nazis described the Jews as subhuman, the Hutus called the Tutsis cockroaches, the Serbs called the Bosnians aliens, and so it goes on. If we want to change a culture of violence against women and girls, we have to start with challenging inappropriate language because the minute somebody becomes less than it becomes easier to treat them badly. And if you ever want to be able to demonstrate that to your children, the Stanford prison experiment is a really good place to start. Um, I'm not going to go into it now. You can just Google Stanford prison experiment. But the point is that language really does matter. So our modelling as parents is vital as is us calling out inappropriate language and making sure that the same is happening in our children's schools, because ultimately what we promote, we permit. Things are changing. There's public campaigns such as the current mayor of London's got his mate campaign and they're helping. But I do think as parents, we have to play our part by challenging behaviour and championing those who are brave enough to call out their peers. And that's really difficult at any time. But it's particularly difficult when you're young. We need to see them that actually you know, gently challenging your peers is helping your friends in a similar way to not letting them, you know, get drunk and driving. And that one voice really can make a difference because it gives others permission to follow suit and that implicitly or explicitly they will be supported and respected for their bravery. We want our boys and young men to engage in positive relationships, not to be so frightened of getting something wrong that they decide it's easier to watch porn and game or worse still, to subscribe to the ideologies of the toxic influencers who would shut down their route to the connections, which make being human the rich and wonderful experience it should be. One of the perhaps more weird things that I like doing is wandering around graveyards looking at what's written on people's gravestones. And there are some pretty weird ones out there. So probably the most famous was Spike Milligan's I Told You I Was Ill. But the one I love best was Sterling and Catherine Iverson who have said, we finally found a place to park in Georgetown on their gravestone. The point is, no one ever has he ran a successful online academy on their gravestone. They have things like beloved husband or wife, wonderful mum or dad. And so it is the relationships that really matter. And we want our young people to have healthy ones. So on that note, I would like to finish. And thank you so much for listening if you've got any questions, please, please feel free to send them in.